Living Hope is a church striving to become a 21st century apostolic church. We are founded upon the belief that the Bible is the inspired, infallible Word of God. We believe in the Great Commission, and we are endeavoring to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with love, mercy, and truth. Listen in as we share the Word, and that, through Jesus Christ, hope is alive. Amen. Amen. How many of you enjoy, have enjoyed this Wednesday night series on those apostles of hell? Amen. Uh, I find it is tremendous teaching, and uh, I, it's vital. It's necessary. Um, uh, brother, uh, we were in prayer earlier, uh, and we were talking about the body and praying for the body. But, you know, if you're going to be successful spiritually, just like in life, you're going to have to get in the fight. You're going to have to be a part of what's going on in the kingdom of God, and it's important that we do so. So we've talked about the spirit of heaviness. We talked about how it affects our emotions, how it wears us out, how it causes you and I to carry weights that we were never intended by God to carry. How many of you like to carry things you don't, you don't, you don't need to carry? Some of us are carrying a few pounds that we're never intended to carry. Amen? Amen. I'm trying to do something about that. It's a struggle. We talked about the spirit of jealousy. That jealousy, that spirit of jealousy, these are dominant spirits that are described as generals or authorities in the spirit realm, this general of hell, that camouflages this spirit of jealousy, camouflages itself as protectiveness. But really, it's just masking the fact that it's a spirit of control. Amen. Jealousy is, we're saying, oh, I'm protecting that. No, no, really, a lot of times, it's just trying to be controlled. Pastor taught about the lying spirit. The, that lying spirit isn't where you need to get your mouth washed out with soap. There's a, a spirit. That's part of it, right? Any children ever eat any soap? Some adults need to. I, Lord, I'm sorry. It's the truth, though. But that, that lying spirit what it's doing in our world, in our society, and even in the church is it's stripping away absolutes. It's, right, amen. There's no absolute truth anymore. In our postmodern world, they want us to believe that your truth is your truth and my truth is my truth. But according to God, his truth is truth. Right? I am the way, the truth, the life. No man is going to make it to the Father unless he comes through the word, amen? And so we understand that. It, it's going to cause you, this lying spirit causes you, it's very deceptive, it causes you to question truth. Then we talked about the familiar spirit, that spirit of divination. Anybody remember talking about that one? That, that communicating with the dead, it masks itself. It's very prominent in our society in the form of entertainment. It's a very dangerous spirit. It's not something that we really want to play with, right? And then we talked about the spirit of infirmity. It, it, it manifests itself through sickness and disease, and our lives, our effectiveness in the kingdom of God can be greatly impacted by this demonic spirit, amen? And, and we talked about those, right? And then we, we looked at, the pastor taught us in the first lesson, the three ways the, the, to have greater effectiveness in our spiritual warfare, the first one is we've got to be able to look beyond those traits that are being manifested and identify the predominant spirit that's causing the issue. How many of you know that's hard to do? 
when someone's treating me some way, it's hard to identify there's something besides them working in them. Right? All I can see is you. All I can see is your body language. All I can see is your eyes. All I can see is your anger. All I can see is what you're, you're doing to me. And, and so now I've got to come to a place of maturity when I recognize it's not my brother, it's not my sister, it's not my wife or my husband, it's a spirit that's at work in them. And so I've got to be able to identify there's something else at work here. Amen? Amen? And then the second thing, we've got to be skilled. We've got to learn how to deal with it. How many of you are skilled? How many of you got a skill? All right, three of you, five of you. All right, amen. All you people work for the government like me, we have no skill. But spiritually, we need a skill, right? We need to be skilled at, at how to deal with the Spirit. And we, in every one of these lessons, there are steps that help us go through and be effective at dealing with this Spirit. And thirdly, in order to get away from these these dominant spirits in our world, there has to be a desire to be free from it. How many of you know you can't be set free if you don't want to be set free? Amen? There are three battlefields of spiritual warfare. Pastor has reiterated this every week. There's obsession. That's where most of this begins, right? Spiritual warfare starts, and it happens when the adversary wants to consume your mind. How do I know there's spiritual activity, there's some demonic activity going on in my life? Are you consumed with anything? Amen? You can't focus on anything else. I'm, I'm consumed with this one thing or these two or three things, and if I'm consumed with it, then there's likely something trying to work its way into my life. There's an attack going on. Amen? You know, if we, if we lived in, in South Korea and we woke up one morning and all the troops from North Korea were amassed at the border, we would be concerned. And yet here we are in life, we just think it's life sometimes, but there's, there's an amassing of the work and the effort of the enemy into the battleground of our life and we're consumed with one thing. We've got to learn to step back and identify, hey, there's something going on here, amen? All right, the, the second step is oppression. That's where it goes beyond this uh, obsession in my mind, and my life begins to be affected by it. It's affecting my everyday life. It's affecting my walk with God. It's affecting my spirituality. And then the third step is possession, and it takes place. This is where most people think all spiritual warfare happens. I'm, I'm not in warfare until I'm possessed, but really it's a progressive attack of the enemy upon humanity. And this is when an individual has accepted that the obsession is normal and all of their resolve is gone. It's weakened and they've been oppressed to the place that they're being controlled by a spirit that is tormenting them. Amen. How many of you know we don't need to get to that place? And when we find someone who is in that place, we have the authority by the word of God to deal with it. Amen. So we're going to talk about the, uh, the next general in hell's unholy alliance tonight. And uh, if you've got the book, we're going to go out of order. There are a couple of lessons that um, may not be suited for all ages, and so pastor's going to move them to the back of the series and kind of teach them out of order. So we're, 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 we're kind of jumping ahead tonight. But the next general that we're going to talk about is the spirit of pride and haughtiness. Tell your neighbor haughtiness. Not naughtiness, haughtiness. You should tell somebody haughtiness is naughtiness. 
I made that up myself, Brooke. That was good, wasn't it? Pride will make you not ride, and haughtiness is naughtiness. Amen. I'm, I'm, I'm rhyming tonight. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 18. The Bible says, pride goeth before destruction, and a haughty spirit before a fall. I think the world has this, you know, hold my drink, watch this, right? It's, it's, it's a recipe for disaster. It's the same thing spiritually. Pride is leading up to destruction, and a haughty spirit is, is always right in front of a great fall. And so this spirit of pride and haughtiness is an extremely difficult spirit to battle. The, the main reason is because this, this spirit intertwines itself with our carnality. Now, I see some of you young folks over here that are squinting to see the screen. Really, it's okay if you move and sit on that side. The church won't fall apart if it's okay, if it's up to you. I see folks are squinting, looking over there. All right. Um, but honestly, it intertwines itself with our carnality. And so pride and haughtiness attempts to elevate our human reasoning to an even par with an eternally wise God. What pride does, what haughtiness does, is it wants to make, uh, make us think that our own, our own intellect, our own ability, right, our carnality, the way that our flesh lives, is equal with an all-wise, all-knowing God. And we understand that's just not true. But this spirit is very deceptive. And so pride uh, this, this is dangerous. Pride and haughtiness is dangerous because our frail human reasoning almost always refuses to see that there's, there could be demonic influence at work in our lives. Why? Because we're convinced that it's, it's common sense or it's just rational. And so we excuse it. We just say, well, that's just the way that I am. But it's really, it's really not just the way that we are. There is a spirit of pride. There is a, a haughty spirit that, that are one and the same that affect, I believe, every person who's got some flesh. Amen. It really is, and so we need to understand it, it, it works itself together and intertwines there. And so what happens is our carnality and the demonic spirit of pride and haughtiness become business partners. They begin to conduct the affairs of a person's life according to their pride instead of according to the Word of God. Amen. And, well, it would never happen to me. It never happened to me. No, no. Be careful who you're in business with. Amen? An unholy alliance is still an unholy alliance, even if you think it's making you some money. Amen? I'm not talking about the secular world. I'm talking about the spiritual world. We connect this spirit of pride and haughtiness, and it, what happens is it begins to intertwine with our carnality, and we think everything's good. But the dictionary defines... Haughty as blatantly and disdainfully proud. The biblical word for haughty comes from the Latin word goba, G-O-B-A-H, meaning arrogantly superior, elevated to the point of expressing disdain. How many of you like it when somebody expresses disdain to you? Right? What does that mean? It means they're looking down their nose at you, right? It, it, it's rude, and, and we don't like that, right? But this is what this spirit creates and causes us, right? Causes to happen in people. 
So in the, in the Bible, the word haughty is always used in an evil sense of being proud and demeaning of others' opinions. And so there, there really are, are three things that go with this, this idea of this word haughty, right, in the, in the Bible. It's, it's pride, it's being proud, it's demeaning of others' opinions, and having an unyielding heart. I think uh, from my, my, own, my own perspective, I could see that pride is that place where it begins and then it goes into that place maybe where we begin to demean the opinions of others and then we go to a place of having an unyielding heart. And can I tell you that being a Christian and having an unyielding heart, they don't work together. You're not going to get anything from God with a hard heart. That was his greatest complaint about the people of Israel. They, had, they did it themselves. They hardened their heart. They had an unyielding heart, right? He's, Paul said, be careful, right? Don't yield your members to sin. Yield your body or your members, right? Thank you, Brother Josh. I appreciate that, right? And so we need to understand what's going on. This spirit is moving that way. And so just as with the other spirits we've examined, it's important to realize that at least at some juncture, it goes beyond being a, a, a proud attitude, according to Proverbs 16 and 18, and becomes the working of a literal unholy spirit. How many of you really think that attitudes aren't important? Well, it, they're not so important when I've got a bad attitude. Oh, oh no, he didn't go there. Yeah, 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 absolutely, right? And so we, we've got to understand that this attitude of pride and haughtiness, before it reaches, even before it reaches the stage where it becomes a demonic, uh, you know, stage in life, it's a dangerous thing. And so even more dangerous is when an attitude of pride and haughtiness morphs or transforms into a spirit of pride and haughtiness. I, I, I want you to understand this, that attitude that little attitude that that, that that baby has, that child has, that little attitude that you're tired of, but you're not really so tired of it, you're doing something about it yet, it's going to do like the Transformers movies. It's going to just change all of a sudden, and it's going to be a demonic spirit at work. So, oh, come on, that little baby, that's so cute when they get on the floor and kick their little... I know it's not my day anymore, Brother Silvati, but in my day, we gave them something to cry for. I, I'm not saying that's always the best thing. I, I think we've learned and we've evolved a little bit, but at the same time, if you don't deal with the attitude, it can and will progress, right? Some people have a bad attitude. I remember, where's Brother Strite? I remember Brother Strite's dad telling me when, when they were babies that we just put them in the bedroom, speaking of him and his sister, we just put them in the bedroom until their attitude changed. And I thought, man, I should have tried that. I tried to beat that attitude out of my kids and it didn't always work. But understanding whether that attitude is your attitude or someone else's, that attitude is a dangerous thing because the attitude is the first step that's going to progress into a demonic possession of pride and haughtiness. And so this, this particular uh, general of Satan's army is extremely effective because it works hand in hand with the natural inclination of your human nature to be selfish, to be self-centered, and to be convinced that what you think is right. Hello? 
my, my wife tells me, has told me in the past, <clears throat> when I was being disdainful about something, she said, honey, if you just do it yourself, you'll probably like it when it's done. I don't know what she meant by that. But, but understand, there, there's a, a natural inclination of your flesh to want things done the way that you want them done. There are, there's three honest folk in the house, right? And, and sometimes... What, what happens is that's a spirit of pride and haughtiness. When someone else does something and they don't do it the way that we do it, we can begin to write that their, our opinion of them. We begin to use that disdain. We begin to look down. That's not how my mama did it. That's not how pastor would do it. That's not how I would do it, Right? And so if we're not careful, that spirit begins to creep in. And it's working with your natural inclination of your humanity because you're convinced that the way that you're used to is right. Hello? How many of you know sometimes the hardest thing to change is a church? Well, we used to do, we used to do a lot of things. Doesn't mean they were all right or they were all effective. And so we're trying to find ways to do church that are effective. Doesn't mean everything that we do is right, but some people are, are free to share their opinion about how we ought to be doing things in the church. Be careful that attitude doesn't progress, hello, to a place of oppression. Got that obsession, you know, I, I, I like this and I don't like this and I like this and I don't like this. That, that, that obsession can, can move on to a place of oppression where it begins to affect your worship and your connection in the house of God. That's free and you're welcome even if you didn't ask for it. But if you look at a, a partial list of the traits and mentalities of an individual who's contending on any level with a spirit of pride and haughtiness, it's a virtual laundry list of carnal inclinations. Amen? Uh, the, some of those manifestations, agitation, anger, argumentative, arrogant, authoritarian, boastful, bragging, believing everyone is out to get you, belligerent, competitive, Conceited, confrontational, contentious, controlling, critical of others' ways, dictatorial, dogmatic, domineering, dismissive, egotistical, exaggeration, frustration, gossip, this is a big list, grudges, a God complex, a holier-than-thou attitude, no apostolics ever had one of those, Impatience, insolence, intellectualism, intolerance, irrational, irritability, mocker, narcissism, obstinacy, overbearing, overreacting. No one in here ever does that. Perfectionism, pretentious, rejection of God, resentment, rudeness, scornful. Self-centeredness, self-deception, self-delusion, self-importance, self-righteousness. There's a lot of selves in this list. Self-serving, self-superiority, 
selfishness, the silent treatment. Ten, smug, a smug attitude, stiff-necked, stubborn, temper, tyrannical, unreasonable, unyielding, vanity, and wrath. That's a list. I read that list several times and went, oh, God. So what does that mean? It means if you're dealing with someone who exhibits to an unholy degree any of these symptoms, you're likely dealing with with a demonic spirit of pride and haughtiness. And so pride and haughtiness can be most treacherous because it works hand in hand with your natural inclination of your flesh to believe that your ways are the only right ways. That's tough, isn't it? Because it's a natural thing for our flesh to believe. I've done it this way so many times and it works for me, so it must be right. Amen? And so in a result-driven world, if we're not careful, we can begin to believe that our way, because we've had some success in that way, is higher than God's way. That's a dangerous thing, isn't it? Proverbs chapter 21, verse 2 says this, Every way of a man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord pondereth the hearts. The New Living Translation says the Lord examines the hearts, or God is searching the motive. It's, it's possible to do the right thing with the wrong motive, and it always comes from a spirit of pride. I'm doing the right thing, but if I don't have the right motive, it's still pride and haughtiness. And so this, this driving force that is true for all of humanity is addressed eight times in the Bible. In almost every case, God's judgment was preceded by an evil mindset of the Bible describes as, and every man did that which was right in his own mind, in his own eyes. Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. This is all throughout Scripture. And so my point is this, just keep doing your own thing. It's it's not as good an idea as it seems because it's going to lead you to a place that you don't want to go. Amen? The people became so demonically driven by a spirit of pride and haughtiness that it, in every case, eventually provoked the wrath of God. The Bible tells us that God is long-suffering, and yet the people of God were served judgment because of this reason alone. Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. And so they were led, they were, they were obsessed and then oppressed and then eventually possessed by a spirit that because I've had success at this, it must be right, it must be true, and they kept doing what they were doing and not listening to the word of God. And so studying scripture, scriptural examples, it doesn't take long to, re- to recognize that God has great disdain for those that are given to a spirit of pride and haughtiness. I think it's, it's apparent through Scripture. God says that he's drawn or he comes near to the humble, but he, he pushes away or separates himself from the proud. And so perhaps the question that we should ask is what does God find so vile about the spirit of pride and haughtiness? 
The answer is found in the verse we just mentioned when, when God declared that the ways of humanity are right in their own eyes. Now, I want you to note carefully the fact that God refers to the eyes in relationship to pride and haughtiness. The correlation between pride and our eyes is reiterated in the Proverbs, in Proverbs 6 and 16, where the, the writer says, these six, these six things doth the Lord hate. Yes, seven are an abomination unto him. He then goes on to list six specific things that evoke hatred from God, abomination from God, whose nature, a God of love, right? But if you go down to Proverbs chapter 6, verse 17, the very beginning of that, the first thing he mentions is a proud look. And so there's a, a direct correlation between the eyes and a proud look, a thing that evokes hatred from a divine God. Understanding that, we, we, we get that, right? Anybody ever, your children ever cut their eyes at you? You just, anybody besides me ever felt handy at that moment? There's some honest folk. I, my mother was a handy woman. She couldn't fix nothing, but she had fast hands and longer arms than you could imagine, or she closed distance well. But she would slap the snot out of you, probably because I wasn't a great teenager. I wasn't as nice as some of these young people are today. But there's a correlation between the eyes and a proud look, and, and it evokes, listen to me, it it brings out hatred from a divine, loving God. It was the eyes and the pride that turned God's stomach. And so the answer to the question is important because it's going to help us understand how a spirit of pride and haughtiness wars against us. When you are aligned with this demonic spirit of pride and haughtiness, now you say, well, I'm not... I don't have all of those traits. Well, if you've got one of them, then you're, you're in alignment. You may not be in complete alignment, but you're, there's an alignment, right? Amos said this in Amos 3 and 3, how can two walk together except they're agreed or unless they're agreed? And so you understand that when you are in that trap of whatever that laundry list of things that we talked about, one of those things is going on, that attitudes in your life, what you're doing is you're aligning yourself with a spirit of pride and haughtiness. So, well, it may be a small degree, but if the small degrees turn into larger degrees, right? Okay? And, and so understand that what happens is when, when you, begin to, you begin to align yourself with this spirit, you begin to see things. There's the correlation of the eyes. You begin to see things through a jaded prism of arrogance and self-will instead of the perspective that God intended for you to see. How many of you have ever been so angry that everything turned black and white? It's pretty angry. But I, honestly, when, when you're dealing with one of these things that are rooted in pride, it literally affects the way that you perceive things. And so eight times in God's word, he associates eyes and pride together because pride and haughtiness affect our perception of spiritual things. Now, it's important to note that these attitudes damage us 
by affecting how we see things. Now, we're still talking about attitudes. We haven't got into oppression and, and possession. We're still talking about that obsession, that thing, that anger that, that we're dealing with, all of that, that bitterness, all that self-control, and all of the self-centeredness, all the things that we're talking about to, today. These attitudes, they affect us. They damage us because they affect how we see the things that God has put in our world that are supposed to, that are intended to protect us. So on your outline... Worship is one of those things, right? These are the things that God has put there to protect us. Worship keeps us conscientiously connected to God. Now, in my notes, I've got the same notes basically that you do. I underlined the word connected. Just underline the word connected. Write in the word worship, underline the word connected. I'm going to show you something. We're done. Worship keeps us conscientiously connected to God. But pride rejects real worship or true worship. And so what, what do you mean? I mean, fake worship has no connection. What are you talking about? I'm talking about you can clap your hands and you can sing, but if there's no connection between you and God, then it's not really worship. You can go to a rock concert to do that. You can clap and sing and you're, you'll have a connection, but it's not, it's not true worship. And so worship is intended by God to connect us to him. It's not about it's not it's not about how you look or even how you feel. It's it's a connecting point. Jesus said this to the woman that well, he said the father is seeking such to worship him in spirit and in truth. There he's looking for true worshipers. They're not 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 fake, not phony. And so there's got to be a connection. God gave us worship to connect us to him, but pride says, I don't feel like it today. Why? Because pride is self-centered. Pride is all about me and not about someone else. Obedience keeps us attached to God's command, underlying attached. Now, pride, pride always belittles unconditional obedience. Uh, someone said it this way. What do you mean? What do you mean pride belittles obedience? Well, I heard someone tell me one time, I'm a believer, but I don't believe as much as you do. They're belittling. Pride belittles what obedience. What the, someone else said to me, nobody needs to go to church as much as you do. Again, that's a spirit of pride that belittles. Well, I like church and I like singing, but I think you people are extreme. There's a spirit there that is belittling something that God, right? Listen, listen. I, I would that men would pray with Holy hands, right? Lifted high. The Bible gives us commands, gives us direction, but this spirit that is so prevalent in our world slips into our everyday life and begins to belittle our obedience to God, and it begins to affect the way that we see the house of God. Amen? Prayer. Prayer keeps us linked. Again, underline the word linked. Linked to our dependency on God. Prayer keeps us linked to our dependency on God. Pride minimizes our need for prayer. What are you talking about? I'm talking about this. Pride, pride doesn't find it necessary to involve God yet. But the scripture says, cast all your care upon him. Why? Because he cares for you. But pride says, well, we're not to that point yet. Come on, I'm talking to somebody. I, I know I'm talking to some folks tonight. Well, you know, I, 
I don't want everybody to know my business, so I'm not going to raise my hand and, and put my business on the street during prayer request time. No, no. Listen, you need to understand, prayer links you to our dependency on God, but pride wants to minimize that. And says, pride says it's not necessary to get God involved. Pride will tell you to call the pastor before you pray. Pride says, well, we'll link the pastor to it because he's compassionate, but I'm not really ready yet to link God to it. Does this make sense on some level? I want to show you, I want to unveil this spirit of pride. Respect keeps us joined to the body of Christ. Pride diminishes our respect for others. Because if it's all about me, I don't need to respect you, right? And so here's, here's what's happened in our world. Pride demands respect, but pride won't give respect. Pride says you got to earn my respect. Hello? I'm talking to some folks that live in a real world. But we got to understand, underline the word joined there, right? Emotional praise. That's the next blank. Keeps, keeps us, underline keeps us, humble in God's sight. But pride will do everything it can to avoid emotional praise. I don't want to sit and let people see me cry. And so there's a spirit, this spirit of pride that wants to take the emotion out of praise, that wants to remove that connection and that link, right? The next one is response. Response keeps us responsive. That's a real deep one, isn't it? Underline keeps us. Response keeps us responsive to the flow of God's spirit because pride feels no need for response. Pride says arrogantly, God knows how I feel. I don't need to respond. I don't need to go to the altar. I don't need to respond when the preacher's preaching. I don't need to get involved. And so if you go back and look at that list, the words that I had you underline are connected, attached, linked, joined, keeps us, right? And if you, if you begin to look at those, you need to understand that pride has the, has the, has the direction. It, its purpose is to unconnect you, to detach you, to unlink you, to separate or unjoin you, and to keep, get you away from where you need to be. And so what, what are you talking about? I'm talking about, listen, you need to understand, there is a prevalent spirit in our world, and it comes into the church, and it lives in our everyday lives, and it's a spirit of pride and haughtiness. Now, we've established that pride and eyes are linked in the Bible because this spirit affects the way that we see the things of God. Because it says worship's not necessary. Respect's not necessary. Obedience is not necessary. Because that, that's, about, that's pride speaking, right? And so because there's this direct correlation between self-importance and the importance of God, what happens is as one increases, the other naturally decreases. And so as God becomes important in my life, my importance decreases. But that spirit of pride elevates it and says, well, what about me? What about my needs? What about what I want? And so self begins to elevate, and the natural reciprocation is, as self elevates, the importance of God begins to go down. You know what that is, folks? That's called backsliding. That's where the spirit of back, because at one point we come in and we're on fire for the things of God, and we love the house of God, and eventually we begin to move back. And what's really happening is our importance God was up here, and now because something in life has changed, 
Not saying that your needs aren't important, not saying that all the things in life aren't important, but what happens is this natural inclination of our flesh is linked together, partnered together with a spirit of pride, and God's importance begins to lessen in our life until the next thing you know, we're not even here. It's a little fox that's chewing on the vine of life, that's destroying that flow of the spirit because it wants you to, and that's why pastor is so hard on worship. Why? Because he recognizes that if God, if the spirit of pride can detach you from emotional worship. Listen, sometimes we need to be more emotional than we are. Or family. If you lose your trash in here and get crazy in the Holy Ghost, I might get a little smirk on my face. But it's not because I'm laughing at you. I'm happy for you. I'm glad that you finally responded to the presence of God. It's just not how I am. That's pride speaking because it's about you and not about God. But when we, listen, you know the old time, we used to to tell how good a church we had by the number of bobby pins we had on the floor after service. Come on, tell them, Sister Harbin, I'm telling the truth. We didn't have fancy music and great stage sound, but we had good church. Why? Because it was more about God than it was about us. It's important that we recognize that there is a spiritual attack that is happening. Some some of you good people that love God need to get a little emotional just because you haven't done it in a while. You need to get outside of yourself and put down what you're doing and get a little bit loose in the Holy Ghost just because it's been a little while. Because that spirit of pride tells you that's not necessary. Response is not necessary. Response is not necessary for the preacher. Hopefully the preacher has heard from God. He doesn't need your response. He's waiting on it because he knows there's a blessing coming your way because that spirit of pride is trying to make you unresponsive. And when you're unresponsive, you can't receive. But when you respond, it's amazing how much more you get out of a service if you get with the preacher than if you're looking at your iPhone. For the record, I hate phones in churches. I like Bibles better. But you didn't know that because I only talk about it every time I teach or preach. It stands to reason that the more importance pride causes you to see yourself, the less important the needful things of God are going to look to you. Understand this. We need God's church. We need the church. You need the church. Pride makes the church appear appear less important. We need God's touch. Pride makes his his touch appear less important. It's, It's never a good thing to be proud of the fact that God hasn't touched your life in weeks or months. That's not, th- that's not something to be proud, proud of. I haven't, felt this, I haven't felt the presence of God in a year. That's, that's a scary thing. That's nothing to be proud about. We need God's direction. Pride makes the direction of God less important in our life. We need God's anointing. Pride makes his anointing appear, appear, much, appear much less. Uh, look at everyone. We're talking about the appearance. Pride makes everything except self appear less important. 
We live in a world that is all centered around me, about myself and about what I want and what, what I'm doing and what I've got going on. Yeah, there, there, there's life going on. There are situations that we can't overcome. But listen, you need to understand, there's nothing more important than the house of God and the things of God and the Lord himself. One commentary states that haughtiness simply means to be unyieldingly presumptuous. I looked at that and said, unyieldingly presumptuous. Those are two specific things that you never want to be or do when it comes to the things of God. And so when pride becomes a factor, we become unyieldingly presumptuous. I would never put those two words together in a sentence. But uh, truthfully, when you won't yield to the presence of God, the next obvious thing that happens is you're presumptuous that God's going to do something even, right? And so what happens is you become unyieldingly presumptuous about your own importance. And the correlation or the result of that is you begin to view as unnecessary those spiritual things that God says are essential. And so a pattern can be seen in how pride and haughtiness affects us. The spirit of pride and haughtiness causes us to unwillingly walk headlong into spiritual warfare using only our natural human tendency to be proud. It's like playing chicken on the interstate. You are not faster than those cars. Even when you were 15, that wasn't true then, and it's certainly not true now. And so this, this spirit is an insidious spirit, and it really is, it's subtle and it's sneaky, but it's warfare that, that attacks our life because the natural inclination towards pride masks the fact that it's become demonic in nature. Well, that's just, just the way I am. It's just how I am. No, no, no. We need to learn how to deal with this. We need to learn how to recognize this is a spirit. And so Satan understands that it's your, in your nature, it's your natural inclination to be proud. And at some juncture, you've got, to, you've got to know that your natural inclination is going to transform into some sort of demonic manifestation. And the adversary, the enemy, the devil, he is always looking for some way to provoke your natural attitude of pride and cause you to move beyond godly reasoning. When that happens, it's going to open a door for manifestations of demonic spirits and pride and haughtiness to live in your life. I'm talking about good people that love God that are dealing with some of this because they don't recognize it. They, they make excuse for it. And so when, when we're haughty, sadly, when we're haughty, we become egocentric and the whole universe revolves around us. It's scary because when we reach this point, there's little if any concern for what others think and no consideration at all for the will of God. Pride and haughtiness are the tree, are the trunk of the tree from which multiple other sinful actions sprout. And so when people see themselves as the center of their world, nothing they say or do is unlawful to them. As a child of God, I can't even imagine that. People can get to a point the people of God can get to a point where nothing that they say or nothing that they do is considered by them to be unlawful. I, I can't tell you how many times I've had people tell me something 
that was an absolute lie from the pit of hell. Well, God told me it's okay if I do this. The Word of God specifically says, don't do that. Yeah, but you know, God told me. See, this spirit, when it begins to work, it turns itself into a spirit of delusion. Right? And God said, because they had not a love for truth, that he would send a spirit of delusion so that the people would believe a lie and be damned. And that, that's a scary thing. And so this, this spirit, right, this spirit creates this place where, you know, it, it, it feeds in with that lying spirit. Your truth is your truth and my truth is my truth. But that is an absolute lie from the pit of hell. And so this spirit of pride and haughtiness seeks to solidify dem dem demonic action in our lives by making it look as though we're justified. Now, I believe this is completely what God meant when he spoke about a proud look. And so what happens is we justify our anger. We justify our bitterness. We justify our self-centeredness because of what someone else has done. You can tell when someone's gone beyond an attitude of pride and they've entered into a place of demonic warfare. Certain things begin to happen. They see anger, uncontrollable anger, as a reasonable response. They see most actions or opinions of others as some attempt at disrespect. They see the depth of their religious expressions as giving them a right to be rude to others. We're not better than anybody else because we know truth. It, it's a privilege to know truth. Truth, right? Truth makes us, listen, we, listen that, that spirit of haughtiness is a spirit that can attack any church. It can attack any person of God because it, it, it makes you want to believe that you're better than somebody else because you've been biblically saved. That's not true at all. God loves everybody. He loves the sinner as much as he loves you and me. He loves the worst sinner in the world as much as he loves you and me. Make sure, you got to make sure that spirit of pride and hardness never comes. It doesn't give, you, doesn't give you the right to be rude to others. What happens is they begin to see others as inferior or unworthy of offering opinions or ideas. That's an incredible thing. How many of you know that people are entitled to their opinions, even if they're wrong? That's a tough one for us apostolics. Someone told me once, this person told me, he said, I've been to a lot of churches, and what I found is that every church says they're right and everybody else is not. Let me tell you what Living Hope says. The word of God is right, and everybody else is not. Amen? Amen? We, don't, we don't have the corner on truth. We've just got the word of God. And we need to make sure that we don't see others as inferior or unworthy of offering opinions or ideas. When this happens, someone, they begin to see themselves as so important that it, that it endues with them with the privilege of being controlling or tyrannical. 
That's crazy, isn't it? But it's really what happens. They begin to see ulterior motives in everything done by their peers. They begin to justify grudges and they, and, and, and that, that linger for a lifetime. And so if these traits are a factor anywhere in your world, spiritual warfare, you're, you're, you're most likely contending with a spirit of pride and haughtiness, and it's attempting to stop you from ever becoming what God intends for you to be. And so by this point, the battle has already become de- demonic in nature. And so we, when we look at spiritual warfare with demonic beings, we think of things as possession or you know, physically acting out or even hurting oneself. And the fact is that we're being assaulted by a spirit of pride and haughtiness to the point where it restricts us from becoming what God wants us to be. It's, it's just as important. That attitude that we're dealing with, The number one discussion in cars for families on the way to church is fighting. After church, it's where are we going to go to eat, which leads to fighting. I don't care. Anywhere. Well, let's go. I don't want to go there. And the fight is on. But on the way to church, there seems to be more pressure to get to church at 9 o'clock on Sunday than it is to get to work at 6 o'clock on Monday. Isn't that strange to you? I find that so odd. Why is that? Because there is a demonic force at work in everything that we do. And that attitude of anger and that fight and that self-centeredness and it's all about me or all about you and all about this that we bring into the house of God, we've got to defeat it before God can do what God wants to do. Say, Brother Roberts, how do you know this? Because... My wife and I sometimes drive separate so we don't fight on the way to church. And we live a mile and a half away. It's the truth. Brother Brian, you're driving by yourself. It's, not, it's probably not uncommon for you to get in a fight with yourself on the way to church. Why? Because you need to understand what's going on here. There's a real enemy at work. And that attitude is so important. It's not, it's not even obsession yet, but when you walk in, all you can think about is the fight in the car. And all, you heard that old story, right? The husband and wife fighting on the way to church, and they get in, the husband's got his hands lifted, he's worshiping, and his wife gives him one of those and says, what's wrong with you, you hypocrite? He said, I'm not a hypocrite. I'm mad at you. I ain't mad at God. Now, that's not, that's not, that's a joke. You don't, don't try that. You need to forgive her before you worship God, right? But understanding the goal of, of the spirit of pride is to isolate you from the things of God. It's, it's, it's designed to separate you. And so with this understanding, let's look at the ways that we're going to fight this spirit of pride and, and haughtiness. Step one, never forget that you were made of frail flesh. Never forget that you were made of frail flesh. We must never think of ourselves as infallible. Never think that you're not capable of falling for anything. Well, I would never do that. My friend, never is a long time. Flesh is flesh, right? Your flesh and all flesh is frail. And it makes it the perpetual enemy of living for God. The the greatest thing that I contend with is my own flesh, right? 
on your outline, there's a statement there. It says, pinch that stuff, it's flesh. Bishop Staten. He said that a million times over the years in early church. Brother Jeremy's like, I remember that being a kid, right? Why? Because the reason, right, is you can never afford to think of yourself as being above sin or above the struggle or above failure. Everybody fails. Everybody struggles. Everybody sins. Does it make it right? But everybody does. I don't care who you are. Everybody is dealing with something. And so don't think that. But pride wants you to cover that up and hide that stuff. Reach out there and grab that. Pinch it. It's flesh. Understand that. It's flesh. And so it's abundantly clear that an individual who fully guards his or her own capacity to sin is greater than someone else who, that can raise the, the dead to, to life through prayer. Understand, this is a, a great statement. Listen, you've you got to understand, don't, don't ever think you're above sin. Don't ever, just because you've done some great thing or you're a part of some great thing doesn't mean that you're above sin. And so there, there's no vision that God, that, that God can give you that rivals the value, the ability to see your, your frailty of your own flesh. You've got to see that. You've got to recognize. And so what happens in our world is this spirit causes people to justify their actions. They see the same action in somebody else and they condemn it, but in their own life, oh, it's, you, know, it's, this is, you know, it's okay. God understands. God understands all flesh, right, is frail. And he understands weakness, but he also requires repentance. He also requires that we forgive, right? And so we gotta be mindful of our own frailty. It's a, it's a natural protectant against the destructive components of pride and haughtiness. Amen. Step number two, never exempt yourself from crucial spiritual activities. Never, never excuse yourself. Never exempt yourself from crucial spiritual activities. God has given us all these great spiritual resources that have great value in our life. We talked about worship and sacrifice and response and submission. Those are valuable to our spiritual well-being, right? And we have to understand this. We have to grasp this. Why, 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 do, you, why do you guys always harp about prayer? Why? Because it's a crucial spiritual activity. It's essential to your well-being. It's essential to your salvation. And yet it seems like, why? That we have such a hard time convincing people to come even 30 minutes early on a Sunday morning. Right? There's the prayer crowd and the donut crowd. The crowd that will never miss a donut but can't show up for prayer. Look, I ain't got a thing against donuts. I miss them terribly. But understanding there's crucial spiritual activity and we cannot afford to excuse ourselves from them. Why? Because God has given them to us as a resource. Worship, prayer, sacrifice, response, submission. Those are valuable, right? The early church used this common expression that pride is the extreme poverty of the soul. 
right? What are you talking about? Pride. Pride, it creates a, a place where the, the, the soul is devalued. It, it, there's no wealth in it. They understood that pride robs our vision of the worth of the soul. We put so much effort. So I know people that, that go to the gym and go to the gym and go to the gym and they run and they work out and they're great and healthy, but spiritually, they're inept. They're sluggish. They can't move. They, they can't, right? If I got to work somewhere, I would rather work in the spirit than in the flesh. Now, the one, one day, this flesh is going to go by way of the grave, hopefully not too soon, but at the rate I'm going, probably faster than I wanted to. But the truth is, I, when I get to heaven, I want to be spiritually fit. It's important. There has to be a balance. You have to be physically fit and spiritually fit, right? And so the reason for such a statement, why our worship keeps us focused. Pride is stealing that focus, keeping us in worship. Sacrifice keeps us mindful of our responsibility to God. Pride removes that responsibility and, and it keeps us away from sacrifice. How many of you love sacrifice? Nobody? Well, I can tell you, as a preacher, we hate talking about sacrifice. But if we don't talk about sacrifice, you're not getting a blessing of God that you need. It's not just about the church and the kingdom. You need to sacrifice. You won't take care of anything that doesn't cost you something. And your walk with God should cost you something. Response keeps us in tune with what God is doing, but pride again prevents being in tune, keeping us away from response. Pride says, my phone is more important than what the preacher's saying. It's not in my notes, but I thought it was. <laughs> Submission keeps us humble, but pride tears away humility by keeping us from a place of true submission. Pride tells you that those things are not important in an attempt to, again, isolate you from the strength and stability that those things are providing for you. I went out uh, a week ago to Utah. I was gone for a week and didn't, wasn't able to get into the house of God, and I was desperate to get back to the house of God. I, I miss it. Why? Why? Because those, you're isolated. I, I didn't have the fellowship of the saints, and there was no one there that believes what I believe. There's no one there that knows what I know. What, what, are, you, what are you talking about? I'm talking about there. I felt isolated. I was among my family, Brother Brett, but I felt isolated. Why? Because they don't understand. They don't get it. I, I'm not mad at them, but I, I felt isolated. I could not wait to get home. Why? Because, because why? There's a connectivity. There's important things here that, I, that I'm missing. And so I've got I've to learn to combat that spirit of pride and haughtiness. It, it's as simple sometimes as refusing to exempt yourself from the things that keep your heart and attitude pleasing to God. Spiritual warfare is always going to come down to what you do for you sometimes. My attitude is controlled by me. Well, they made me do it. No, that reaction's yours. That overreaction is yours. That anger, that belongs to you. Well, God understands. No, no. If he forgave all the stuff he forgave, and you won't forgive that little thing, he doesn't understand. 
And so under, get, get the idea that this is spiritual warfare. The enemy knows how to trip your trigger. He's sitting there with a little string tied on the trigger in your life, and he is pulling that thing as regular as he can, and all his little demon buddies are laughing. Watch this. <laughs> and you lose your religion. All Holy Ghost departs the room, and you're now all that pride and anger and haughtiness and right all that naughtiness comes out, and you act like the devil. And now he's isolated you, separated you from the body because sin always separates. And then he begins to bring in those other spirits of oppression and that spirit of heaviness and begins to weigh on you and work on you. Why? It's my job to control my attitude. And I'm not as good at it as I need to be. I'm better than I used to be, and I'm still working on it. But it's your job to control your attitude. Why? Because that attitude is going to lead you to a place. That attitude is where it begins. That baby, that little darling that's stacking up, it's important that you teach them the right way. You've got to be stronger than their attitude sometimes. Step number three, understand that spirits often work in tandem. Another we need to consider an often unconsidered attribute about demonic spirits is they work in tandem. They work together. That means that those two or more demonic forces, they're, they're, they're joining together in spiritual warfare and they're helping each other to do damage to your soul. That's what I was talking about just a moment ago. That spirit of pride, you react to something that someone does and that spirit of heaviness jumps on. That spirit of jealousy jumps on. That spirit of lying jumps on. God's word, you know what's true about God's word, but that lying spirit, it, it, it begins to connect together with anger and tell you, no, that's not absolute truth. It's okay if I, re if I get retribution. So understanding is vitally important in the warfare against the spirit of pride and haughtiness because regardless of what the sinful spirit is reaching into individuals' lives, the spirit of pride and haughtiness reinforces that sin by proclaiming the right to do it. I can't emphasize this enough. I have the right to this. I deserve this, right? And it's wrong, right? That's humanity's pride. And that pride assures us that it just isn't wrong. And so there's, there's lots of different uh, examples of this. Jealousy is wrong. We know that, right? But pride reinforces it by saying, you've got a right to be jealous. Perversion is wrong. No one, no one in here would disagree with that. But pride re reinforces perversion by saying, well, everybody's doing it. It's just normal. Adultery is wrong. But pride reinforces adultery by saying, you deserve something or someone better. Irma Bombeck, some of you never heard of her. She wrote a book. said, the grass is always greener on top of the septic tank. It's not better. It's not better. And so, just as there are gateway drugs, there are gateway spirits that make it easier for us to destruct spiritually. And so understanding this, these spirits are working together in tandem. And so you've got to, you've got to refuse to let pride justify temptation and sin. I want to say that again. 
because the spirits are working together, we must refuse to allow pride to justify any temptation and any sin. And so it's important that we know that, right? Step four, know the values of others. The final step in combating a spirit of pride and haughtiness is understanding, knowing the value of others. God placed people around you that you can love and that love you and that you can trust. Family, right? Fellow church members, spiritual leaders. What they're, they're valuable assets in your life. But pride and haughtiness drives those people away. They isolate you from the benefits. I can't tell you how, how important this is because the world says you don't need a pastor. You don't need a spiritual leader in your life to give you godly advice. You get better advice at the water cooler. People at the water cooler aren't doing their job anyway. They're already unproductive. Don't let them bring unproduction into your life. Their productive people are out, out there doing the job. Hello? Brother Henry, back in the day, the smoke pit was where you learned how to do all this stuff, right? Those people are taking more breaks than anybody else. I want to be successful, all right? And so understand, God has put people around you to benefit you, to help you. And the spirit of pride and haughtiness says, you don't, need to get, you don't need to get them involved. You don't need to let them know what's going on. They should know automatically. And pastor said this last week, how are we supposed to know you're going through something if nobody communicates? And so pride and haughtiness drive those people away and they isolate you. So pride violates God's command for his people to be humble and considerate of others. Jesus proclaimed that the greatest commandment given was to love God with all of your heart. He also gave the second greatest command in Matthew twenty-two thirty-nine. He said, and the second is like unto it, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. What a contrast. God calls us to love others regarding them as we want to be regarded. But the spirit of pride and haughtiness is always trying to elevate you and your opinions above others. So God saw it was necessary for humility to be a part of our lives. And so in order for that to happen, humility is a requirement of God to keep our hearts pure. It's important. It's important that we understand that little attitude, that little thing that we do every day affects us to a great degree. Amen? Pride and haughtiness are the enemies of humility. Wisdom realizes that humility is the enemy of pride and haughtiness, but humility will insulate your world against the effects of the demonic spirit of pride and haughtiness. And so even on your greatest day, Never on your greatest day open the door to demonic pride and haughtiness by forgetting how much you need people in your life. When we were studying years ago about small groups, read a book in, in, in the introduction to the book, the, the, the book, the gentleman talks about our society. And he said, you know, years ago, all of the roads were built right by the house. And the horse and buggies and the old-time cars would drive right, right by your front door. If somebody came by at midnight, you heard them, you know. And now we live in these secluded houses where every house has a fence. 
and, and I have several neighbors that do this. You never see them. They drive into their garage. They drive out of their garage, and you, never, you don't know who they are or why. Because there, there's a spirit that wants to isolate us from people, and yet God made it so that we need each other. This body is fitly framed together. It's woven together in the image of God. And you need me, and I need you. And we need each other. And that's, listen, and so when we, that's, we've got commandment, we've got scripture telling us not to forsake this assembling together of ourselves. It's important. Why? Because you need to be here. Why? Because every time you're not here, there's a spirit of pride and haughtiness that's trying to isolate you, trying to separate you from the body of Christ. But you need, and the body needs what you're provided, and you need what the body, the nourishment the body's providing. Stand with me. Gateway drugs. You know, you just do a little bit of this, and it won't hurt you, right? They talk about this, and then the next thing you know, right, that you're into the heavier stuff and the heavier stuff, and the next thing you know, you're, you're, you're spun out on crack or one of those crazy things, and your life is destroyed. And it, it, It's a story that we hear all the time. But can I tell you, for the people of God, the spirit of pride and haughtiness can be a gateway sin. It's a gateway battle. We open ourselves up and we, some of us have never been completely healed from all of that anger and all of that resentment and all that bitterness, all of the things that we've gone through. And if we can't learn to forgive, it's much deeper than God won't forgive us. It's deeper because we open the door to demonic activity to come in and begin to combine with all of these other generals. These, people, these spiritual generals that Brother White calls in his book, they have authority. They have authority in our world. And they have authority in your life if you open the door. And so it's important that we fight, we understand, we recognize that, listen, I've got to make sure I, I bring my attitude into check. Does that mean I never felt, never fall, never fail? Nope, nope. But I've got to be mindful of my attitude. Why? Because it's a gateway. It's a door. It's an avenue that the devil's going to use against me in spiritual warfare. So I want us to pray tonight. I know this was a longer lesson than, than lying or jealousy, but understanding this, that this is a prevalent spirit that every person in this room is dealing with. At some level, every one of us are dealing with this. And, and, and we need to understand, God, show me the attitude. Show me what I'm dealing with here. Help me, God, to understand. But I'm, I promise you, if you'll pray that prayer, God will reveal it to you. Let's lift our hands and pray together. Father, I pray against that spirit, God. We stand on the authority of your word, binding the spirit of pride and haughtiness, God. We, we humble ourselves before you tonight, God. We plead the blood of Jesus over our hearts and our minds. Help us, help us, Lord, to understand. God, I pray for the revelation in my life. Every time one of those attributes, one of those things happens in my life. Sometimes it is easy to start on your destination without really knowing the exact path it takes to get there. To get to our destination, we need to follow the one who knows our predestined path. So be sure to subscribe and watch us on Facebook Live every Sunday at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. And also visit us at www.livinghopemd.com. I'm going to wait on you. I'm gonna wait on you